0: Amen. Amen. Happy Sabbath. Pick these up. Thanks. Oh, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts uh, be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer, and we are grateful to be able to take a day when we can be with you and think about you and rest Uh, have our physical bodies rejuvenated by by some slow downtime and have our minds and our spirits lifted to the things of God. And these songs that we've been singing do just that. Your your Psalm 23 does just that. And so would you use this time that we have right now um, to pour out a blessing on every person who is here with us, every person who's online with us, every person who will listen to this later, um, Lord, would you just pour out a blessing upon us? We ask in Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Um, let's recite Psalm 23 one last time together. Today is the last day in our series. So um, if you've been working on it, I hope that you are getting closer and closer to being able to say this whole chapter uh, from memory. Remember, um, we are trying to deposit in your mind, heart, and soul some powerful truths that you can carry with you every day of your life, that, that will shape you, shape your thinking, encourage you, rescue you in moments of distress and strain. This is the gift that God has given us. Somebody prayed. Rebecca prayed this morning as we were just preparing for the service. She prayed, God, thank you for Psalm 23. I visited with somebody uh, this week who lives far away. And first thing he said to me, oh, I am enjoying this series on Psalm 23 so much. This psalm has power in our lives. And so... um, We are grateful for it. I'm kind of sad that we're coming to the end of it. Um, But uh, hey, we'll we'll circle, circle back at some point. So here we go. All right. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen? Amen. All right. So, you know, certain words and phrases have the power to shape the future. In the beginning, God created. The winner is... (laughs) Uh, the diagnosis is, right? It's a girl. I do. I wanna submit to you as we finish up and look at the last verse in Psalm 23 that amongst the pantheon of all the amazing phrases, words, statements that have the power to shape the future, you must include this last verse. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It is a little bit sad to come to the end, uh, but this is our last day in Psalm 23. And we're going to end with these words which send us into the future with a perpetual hope, a perpetual faith, a perpetual source of strength to meet whatever we experience. So we're going to look at this verse in three moves. The first one is the truth of God, then the clash of reality, and then the way of through. The truth of God, the clash of reality, and the way through. So if you've got your finger on the text, go ahead and and really look at verse 6 here and absorb it. Sort of think about each word. One of the things I love about going through a psalm in the way that we have over these last weeks is that we've really been able to pause and think things through. In fact, I'm going to struggle to get through this whole verse even today. And my primary emphasis is going to be on the first part of it. I think the rest of it sort of flows out of that. So, I I mean, I tried, but uh, it's just so much goodness in here. Um, So this truth, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, it sort of drops into our laps like manna from heaven. Now, in this part of the psalm, we're not in the realm of sheep anymore. So ever since last week, verse 5, the metaphor has pivoted away from sheep and it's pivoted towards something that's even more intimate and more relational than the relationship between sheep and shepherd. This is a, a friend. God is, is now uh, taking up a mantle of friendship and inviting us, but he's not just any kind of a friend. He's a friend who, who has a grand house, a glorious house, and he's inviting us in and seating us at the table. It's, it's sort of like an intensification of the sense of intimacy with God that you already had with the metaphor of the shepherd. Now we're moving into the metaphor of friendship with God. A very powerful friend who holds goodness and mercy. The words uh, are Tov in in Hebrew and hesed. Um, Tov refers to sort of the deep kind of goodness that reflects how things are supposed to be. So it says in, in Genesis 1.31, And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. That's the same word. And then hesed. Hesed is, is, I I say this sometimes, it's like a 10-ton Bible word, you know? Uh, It's one of these words where it would behoove you to kind of grasp it, to wrestle with it, you know? Um, 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 Write it down in a place. Uh, If you like tattoos, it's a good word to get a tattoo, hesed. Because it is just so foundational to uh, everything that the scripture is about. Hesed is... The word that describes God's unbreakable love for his people. Psalm 54:10, for the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. So if you have Tov and you have Hesed, Really, then you have all you need. We started off talking about n- living a life without want, and it's almost like bookends. The reason, the, the, the fundamental um, reason that you can live a life without want, it goes back to these two words, Tov and, and Hesed, the, the uh, steadfast love of God and the goodness of God. But here's where it gets even more interesting uh, Finger on the text. It says, uh, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me, shall follow me. And the word follow could actually be translated with a a stronger word in English. The Hebrew word for follow could be translated with a a stronger word. It really means to pursue or to chase down. It can even be used to mean persecute. (laughs) Yes, Lord, persecute me with your goodness and mercy, please right? So there's something stronger at work here. And it's, a, it's an incredibly, this idea that goodness and mercy are chasing us is, ex, is, is very rich. I find it extremely rich because we might be tempted at times to doubt whether our lives are characterized by goodness and mercy. So uh, take an example of Job. Um, would Job have declared this verse in the middle of his deepest suffering? Right? It's a good question. Would Job have declared this verse in the middle of his deepest suffering? Or even press it further, would Jesus have been able to declare this verse while he was awaiting the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane? Would he, right? Take this, Father, take this cup from me. So how do we hold this together? If the verse said, you know, my life is only goodness and mercy all the time, you know, that might have felt a little disingenuous, because we know in a fallen, broken world that is filled with all kinds of pain, that's not actually true in the fullest sense of those words. But what it actually says, and this is, this is the richness to me, is that goodness and mercy will follow or pursue or chase me, which is a slightly different idea, right, Was it true that goodness and mercy were chasing Job? Yes. Read the last chapter. Was it true that goodness and mercy were chasing Jesus? The resurrection. What King David is inviting you to believe in this moment, as he pens this psalm, is that no matter how dismal your circumstances Know that the goodness and mercy of God is chasing you down. Now, just a quick sort of gospel message here. Um, maybe some of you are with us today or online or listening to this later and you're, you're exploring the things of faith. And I wanna invite you to put yourself in the target of God's goodness and mercy. And here's what the Bible says about how you place yourself into the target of God's goodness and mercy. There's only one way to do that, and it goes through Jesus Christ, who is the perfect version, by the way, of King David who wrote this song. The way into the target of God's goodness and mercy is through Jesus Christ. And the way to Jesus Christ is through faith. So the Bible teaches us that uh, Jesus, when he, when he did that amazing thing on the cross that I referenced earlier, was doing that to uh, atone for sin because sin separates us from God. And, and in our sin, we are separated from God. We, we don't have this kind of intimate relationship with God like sheep and shepherd. We don't have this relationship with God like, like powerful friend and, and, and friend receiving the love. We don't have that. Um, because sin separates us from God. But when Jesus went to the cross, he provided atonement for that sin. And the Bible teaches us is the way that we restore our relationship to God, the way we become sheep, the way we become friends with God is by placing our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And saying, yeah, I need a Savior, and Jesus, you're my Savior. I need a Lord, and Jesus, you are my Lord. So so everything that I'm saying about Goodness and mercy being a part of your life is contingent upon that initial restoration to God. So if you're exploring the things of faith, if you're here and and you're not sure where you are with God, this is the first step. I don't want to, I want to make sure you don't miss it. This is the first step to come to faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And what happens then is you are in the target of his goodness and mercy forever. And no matter how dismal your circumstances, again, to say the goodness and mercy of God is, are chasing you down. They are, they're chasing you down and they might overtake you sooner or they might overtake you later, but they will overtake you. That's the point. You can be sure of it. Today, the Vuelta de España is finishing, which is like the Tour de France cycling race, only it's in Spain. And just this morning, probably about an hour ago, an American won it for the first time in a really long time. So pretty exciting. Uh, I'm a fan of cycling. And what typically happens in a road race with 100 or so cyclists is that towards the beginning there's a small group called the Breakaway that, that launches forth from the large peloton and tries to get as far as they can in front of the peloton, the larger group of cyclists. And this will go on for a 100 miles. Five or six will be out there. And they'll hope that just maybe They together, working together, can get to the finish line before the peloton catches them. But 90% of the time, the peloton with 100 riders, all this strength together, they're working against the wind, taking turns. About 90% of the time, I would say, the peloton catches them before they get to the line. And sometimes there's this beautiful scene, crazy scene, where you see the finish line, you see the five or six riders who have nothing left and they're just struggling and struggling and behind them is this massive peloton just chasing them down. And then they overwhelm these cyclists right at they get the finish line and, 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 and one of them on the team that's been leading the charge gets to win. 90% of the time, I want to tell you, God... Chases you down with his goodness and mercy 100% of the time. That's what this text says. He is chasing you down. He's chasing me down with his goodness and mercy. And then we come to the word surely. Surely, in, in, the first word in verse 6. Um, the surely and the shall, this is the way I would characterize these two words. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me. Um, This is what we bring to the table. These are words that capture David's posture towards the truth that he has presented. He doesn't just say, uh, goodness and mercy will follow me. It's intensified, surely. There's a word in there, surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. He is sure- They're there, and sure they're coming. Surely and shall. Essentially, these are words of faith. They're a declaration by David of his faith in God. And this is what we bring. This is all we bring to the table, is faith. And the amazing thing about faith, we have this example of one who said to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. So you don't even have to have perfect faith. You just bring the tiny little smidgen of faith that you have and ask God to increase it, to grow it. And that's how you attach yourself to this phenomenal promise. All right, now what I want to do, moving on to our second point, the clash of realities. I want to linger a little bit more with this idea that sometimes the promise of these verses seems so far from reality. Right? You think about your life and and you're here on Sunday and you read this and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you go out on Monday and stuff happens and you're like, what happened to that verse? I was so excited on Sunday, pastor got me all riled up and now with this and that and the other thing, you know, it's all out the window. So why does it seem sometimes like this verse is so far from reality? I think if we don't wrestle with this a little bit, you know, our surely declaration of this promise is going to be weakened. We need to wrestle with the clash of reality and the promise of God. We don't want Psalm 23 6 to, to ring hollow. And I'm taking a minute to share with you uh, a personal note right now. Um, and this is by way of saying the clash of reality is real. The clash of reality is real. So uh, I'm experiencing, we are experiencing this right now. My beautiful bride, and I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of read this because um, I want to be faithful to what we talked about that I would say this morning. So my beautiful bride has been in and out. You've noticed, some of you have asked over the last weeks. And we've decided today to be up front and to let you know that. Uh, she needs some mental health space right now she 's become saturated with suffering she 's become saturated with suffering related to our family, um, she's be, she, w- w- difficulties we 've faced from her own hurts and from what is now almost 25 years of being a pastor 's wife and as i 've said before um, I think pastor's wife is the most difficult role in the church. I really do. And she's done it for 25 years, 19 in this church, including helping to get it started. So together, we're seeing signs that strongly suggest she needs to dial everything down to zero. Zero. Uh, to enter a time of healing and and rebuilding. So what I want to invite you to do is just extend grace towards us. We're human beings with limitations and made of dust. So extend grace towards us, number one. Uh, And then number two, just to pray for her and to pray for us. um, That the goodness and mercy of the Lord would chase after her and overtake her and me, okay? In fact, um, I wonder if I do this. This might be a stupid decision, but would there be somebody who'd be willing just to stand up and pray for her right now? Okay, not a dumb decision, (laughs) the their marriage, their family, their home, their ministry. Would you be for Joni all that she needs and all that she wants? We ask you to protect her today, in this very moment and all the days of her life. For you are a good and faithful God who shepherds us. Whether we know it Holy. Amen. Thank you so much. We pray for her strength, for her encouragement, and give her strong give her strength and wisdom. Give both of them strength and wisdom. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So if you didn't know, we try to be real in this church. And uh, so that's, that's me. Thank you. I'm moved by those prayers, so thank you. If I'm experiencing this, and I have been blessed in so many ways, and Jody's been, we've been blessed in so many ways, so many ways in our life, um, I know that others of you are going through it too, or you have, or you will, because this is the crucible of life in a fallen, broken world. This is reality, and um, There's a clash of reality with sometimes these words that we find in Scripture. And so how do I, how do we work through holding together both of those, the clash of reality and the truths of God? And this is a question I've been grappling with over this last week in a deeper way as I continue to get pressed into God's Word. I was grateful, it was a gift for me to have this passage uh, this week, God is chasing after me just as he's chasing after you. And um, there's a kind of, this is going to be funny, but there's a, there's a, or strange, there's an economic turn that I came across last year that I keep chewing on because it really helps me to understand these kinds of moments where it seems like God's promises and reality are clashing together. And the term, again, maybe a little bit strange Uh, is called Bounded Rationality. The term is Bounded Rationality. And it, it basically is the idea that people make decisions based on what they understand, but their understanding is always limited. And we not only make decisions, but we reflect on our lives based on what we understand. But our understanding is always limited. And, you know, in the spiritual realm, you know, we can't see the entire picture. And here's what happens if we don't understand, to coin a phrase, bounded spirituality. You know, the spiritual version of of the economic term. If we don't understand the concept of bounded spirituality, you know, we will, people, this is what happens to people when they don't, they think they know everything. Like if you don't understand, there's a whole realm of mystery outside of what you understand, then you think you know everything. And I remember as a teenager, man, right? Like, that's, what we, as teenagers, we're, we're starting to grow and think and, and we feel like we, we got it. And that's where the clash between parents and teenagers often happens because the parents have had a little bit more experience with the mystery of the world and the teenager hasn't and thinks, you know, but we can all do that. We can all act like teenagers and think we know what's going on when we, when we don't. Um, you know, this is the situation with Job. Job's friends come and they're like, well, first of all, they sit with them for seven days in sackcloth and ashes. So before we get on Job's friends too much, just remind us what they first did. They sat there for seven days in sackcloth and ashes. When's the last time we've done that, right? Um, so they're pretty amazing people. Nonetheless, they come to Job and they say, look, Job, this is how it is. This is what's going on. And Job's struggling and straining to try to help them understand there's, there's a mystery greater here to his suffering. But then Job does the same thing with God. He tells God, I know, I know what's up. This is, this is what you need to do, et cetera, et cetera. And then God comes and says, no, did you make the world, right? Did you create humankind? Did you create all the animals? And beautiful passage in the book of Job where God Brings Job into the mystery of his sovereignty over the world. Now, some people think they know everything and fall into an understand, the uh, fail to be able to understand the complex circumstances. Others, they think that they see all there is and, and then they become overly pessimistic or hopeless. So, right, if you don't understand that you only see part of what's going on, what you might end up doing is looking at what you see. Say, oh, this is everything. This is all there is. And that might drive you to become pessimistic and hopeless. Right? Again, you're working within this box, but God's working within a much larger box. Um, And then there are those who think that it's all up to them. They only see this box, and they think it's all up to them, and so they wear themselves out fighting tirelessly against whatever is wrong in that box, forgetting forgetting God. There's probably many other ways that people respond to this, but the point is this. If you are to believe that goodness and mercy, mercy shall follow you all the days of your life despite your circumstances in this particular moment. If you're to believe that, that powerful truth, you have to understand that your perception is bounded. Your perception of the world is bounded. You only see what you see. You only understand what you understand. And, and then you have to recognize that, number one, you don't know everything, but God does. So there is somebody We're not hopeless because there is somebody who does see everything and know everything. And that would be amazing, but it wouldn't really help us. This is what helps us. Number two, he's chasing after you with goodness and mercy. So he sees it all, but then it's a relational. It's not just his capacity. It's his relationship he's chasing after you. And of course, Jesus Christ is the... Supreme example of that. God chasing after you. Miguel and I were uh, having a meeting this week and we're sitting on the couch and we were just marveling at, um, you know, we've been together for a long time and marveling at the crazy things that we've experienced and we've witnessed together. And I got this vision that I've come back to uh, a couple of times this week. I got this vision of Miguel and I sitting in heaven someday down the road. And we've got the clicker. And we're, we're playing the videos of the past. And there's this television screen that's the normal size that we all experience in this world. But then because we're in heaven and God's opening up his wisdom and understanding to all of us. It's like the screen is massive. And when we're in heaven we get to re-watch. And we get to see all the things that God was doing that we didn't see through our flesh, and we wondered about. And Miguel and I are sitting there on the couch with the clicker eating popcorn, or what are we eating? Yeah, uh, and, 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 and tacos. Yeah. <laughs> and we're just like blown away. What? You were doing that at that moment, God? You did that? You used that difficult thing to accomplish that? And we're just worshiping God and joyful because we're seeing, finally, the big picture. I don't know if that's not biblical necessarily. I don't know if there's going to be a clicker in heaven and a big TV screen. But that's the image I was given. All right. The way through then. This is the third point briefly. Briefly. The simple, essential application of all that we're saying is, look, you've got to attach yourself, and this has been a theme throughout Psalm 23, attach yourself to the Lord, because he's the one who knows, he's got the full picture, and because he's good. Um, and, and in general, I would say that our attachments, if we're just honest with ourselves, our attachments to the Lord in this sense are in fits and starts, right? That's why you go, to, you go to Monday morning and you were all excited about Psalm 23, 6, and then on Monday morning, it's like you can't even hardly feel like you can grasp it, right? So our attachments to the Lord uh, happen in fits and starts, a moment here and a moment there, um, but it doesn't have that all the days of my life feel that the scripture, that this verse talks about. It says all the days of my life, right? So back in our first two sermons on Psalm 23, um, I quoted Dallas Willard um, on the key way we attach ourselves to the Lord. So let me requote this again. So we're bringing this full circle. The ultimate freedom we have as individuals is the power to select what we will allow or require our minds to dwell upon and think about. By think, we mean all the ways in which we are aware of things, including our memories, perceptions, and beliefs. The focus of your thoughts significantly affects everything else that happens in your life and evokes the feelings that frame your world and motivate your actions. And then he goes on to say later, then this is a little more crystal, that's a little more involved, so maybe this will help you if it's a little bit tighter we have the ability and responsibility to keep God present in our minds and those who do so will make steady progress toward him for he will respond by making himself known to us. And in a nutshell, it's somewhere along that vector of thinking that this truth becomes a reality in a way that's all the days of my life. It's that, it's that continual, constant looking to the Lord, inviting him in. So at the end of the book uh, on Psalm 23 that Dallas Willard uh, wrote, it's called Life Without Lack. I've been recommending it to you. Um, at the end of that book, he devotes an entire chapter to what it would look like to live a single day in the presence of Jesus. And what I love about what he says is he's not saying, um, go away on retreat. Like, in some ways, it's kind of easier when you go away on retreat. And that's something we ought to be doing from time to time. But you can't do that every day. You can't go on a personal retreat every day. Most, Most of us can't. We've got to live life and and, and do the daily things and the work and the family and whatever else it is. And, And so how do you bring Jesus into all that is the fundamental question. How do you bring the goodness and the mercy of God into all that? And as you might think, it's a very simple, almost childlike process. And let me just sort of summarize for you what it is. What he essentially says boils down to this. All throughout the day, here's how you respond to God. Here's, here's what you do. You, number one, I got four things. Engage God by setting your mind towards him. In other words, you live with an awareness that he's always there. When I was delivering Meals on Wheels way back, there was this older gentleman, uh, John, who was a Christian, and he had been a priest, but he had left the Catholic Church, and we struck up a friendship, and he was a beautiful man. I did his funeral, um, and uh, when we would be talking, I never forget. He had one of those, you know those like really cheesy 70s pictures of Jesus on the wall? He had one of those, and you'd be talking to John, and, and, and it was like this. Okay, if the picture's up here, I'm standing there, John's standing here. He'd be saying, Andrew. Jesus, this, like all throughout the conversation, he's gesturing towards Jesus, bringing Jesus into the moment uh, that we're talking about. And he just did that constantly. And the image always sticks in my mind. What is it like to engage God in that way? By simply acknowledging moment by moment that he's present. Number two, own your current state. This is so huge and I love love this concept and I'm finding it really helpful for, for me as I have trying, been trying to live this out um, in the last weeks more and more. Own your current status, your current state. If you're coming in sorrow, say to God when you engage, Lord, I'm coming to you in suffering and pain. If you're coming in anger, say, Lord, I'm really angry. Right? If you're coming in confusion, Lord, I am very confused. Or Fear. Or whatever it is. Some of you need to do some work on even being able to name your emotions. Because that can be a hard thing. Uh, As the joke is, you know, men have uh, one emotion. Anger. Right? I feel something. It must be anger. We need to develop our vocabulary of emotions. So that when we're talking to God, we can bring with more specificity what it is that we're struggling with fear. So one of the things, uh, and somebody shared this with me, one of the things I do at the end of my day uh, sometimes is I say, I ask myself, what am I ashamed of? What am I angry about? And what am I afraid of? Because those are three that I really wrestle with. And so I ask myself those questions and, and then I can say, oh, it's that. It's this. It's the other thing. <clears throat> and I can bring that to the Lord. Now I've got a name on it. So own your current state. Number three, ask for help. Simplest thing, like a child. You know, be honest <clears throat> when you ask God. So I've identified my, my anger or my fear, <clears throat> and then God, would, would you help me? Would you help me? And <clears throat> sometimes you can't, like, you want to do the right thing, and you don't even, you don't even feel like you want to do the right thing. So it's like the endless regression. You say, God, help me to want to do the right thing. There's no question you can't come to God with. Right? You just keep peeling back the layers until you get to the core of what your need is. And then, lastly, you wait. You wait in the knowledge that goodness and mercy are pursuing you. Sometimes it's like an appetizer that God gives you, He'll drop in your mind uh, a scripture or a thought or a, a person will call at the right time or an image. Um, to fortify your soul, um, I was wrestling with something this week, and I followed this and brought it to God, and it was like all throughout the week I had this, this picture of Jesus, and you know, um, you know, like when Peter's walking towards him, he's like, keep my keep your eyes on me, right? Just look into my eyes. Right, And so that image was so powerful for me. Um, and God will do that. He will fortify your, sometimes it'll be appetizer, which is to kind of hold you over to the main meal. But then sometimes it'll be the full meal, radical change of circumstances in your life. And ultimately, there will be the most radical changes of circumstances in your life as the kingdom of heaven comes in its fullness. So the point is this, is that nourishment is available, And it's there for you all day long if you will engage and own your need and ask God and then wait. Own, engage, own, ask, and wait. Goodness and mercy will catch you. That's the promise. That's the promise. So God, today as we finish up the book of Psalm the, excuse me, Psalm 23, some powerful truths in here about the way that we live and even move through the world, how we experience life. And it's gonna require of us that we, um, we take some time this week to reflect on, on what it would look like to engage God, engage you, own our current state, ask for help, and then wait for your response. Um, and so I'm, I'm asking Holy Spirit, that we could see in this week some actual transformation in our lives. That in the day to day life that we are called to live, the work we're doing, the hobbies, the relationships, all of it, that, that you would help us and empower us and guide us more and more to bringing you in to every moment. We know you stand, your posture is towards us and your goodness and your mercy are pursuing us. So we thank you. We thank you that we live in a world where that's true. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.